Men, if you call every man your home for getting in, getting healthy, getting strong, and getting going, then we have a special ask for you. We need men like you to stand in the gap with us as we take back territory for God's kingdom with our new giving campaign. We're calling it the 12 for 12 giving campaign. And all it takes is $12 a month for 12 months. Now your commitment and donation will help us reach our 20 city goal with our Dangerous Good Conference in 2021. And we can't do this without your support. Now, if you haven't noticed, every man is on the move and we've been able to build an army of strong men that are choosing Jesus over the world. You know why? That's because of people like you that help our ministry thrive, especially in these difficult times. So will you join us and commit to donating $12 for 12 months? Every dollar equals change, not only in the men, but also change for the women, children, and communities connected to these men. Thank you in advance for your support and God bless. Good morning, men. How are you? My name is Jason Park, and it's so great to be with you this morning. Um, I've been here in the past, and hopefully I've got to spend some time with you. But when Pastor Kenny's away, uh, he allows me the opportunity to pinch hit for him and get to spend some time with you. And like before, Pastor Kenny's enjoying some great uh, rest and recovery with his family. And so he gave me the opportunity to, to step in and spend time with you. So my name is Jason Park. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Everyman. I also serve at Crossline Church in Laguna Hills as a men's pastor, but my full-time job, as most of you know by now, is I'm a police officer here in Orange County and have been for 26 years. And like I said, I'm so um, happy to be here and get to spend some time in God's Word with you. Um, and just uh, just so you know where we're going with this is I thought, what, what um, should we talk about here this morning? And it was like, I thought we just need to dive into the red letters of Jesus and to hear what he might have to say to us um, in this time that we're in. So if you have your Bible, if you would turn to Luke 26, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 36. And you can also download the notes from the website or the Facebook page. And so let's just dive right in. Jesus says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to everyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to only those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a return in full. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward in heaven will be great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. So a little context here. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. That first phrase in the beginning of that says, but to you who are willing to listen. So in the sixth chapter of Luke, 
We're kind of in a parallel passage with Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just finished giving this dissertation to a much larger crowd, and now he's directed his attention at his disciples. We quite often hear Pastor Kenny use the phrases that Jesus shared with us, come and see, come and commit, and come and die. To the larger crowd, Jesus was saying, come and see and come and commit. Now he's talking to his disciples and he's sharing with them what it looks like to come and die. In this same chapter, in Luke chapter 6, is when he actually designated who his disciples would be. So this was a conversation for his disciples. This was a conversation for who was deciding to be a follower of Jesus and what that looked like. Now before we get started, I'm going to recommend that you circle a couple of passages, whether you're utilizing the notes or if you're willing to circle these passages in your Bible. In that first two lines there, I want you to circle love where it says love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who hurt you. Those are the words that I want to pop off the page. Those are the words that I really want you to see. And the reason why I want you to see those words is because if you're not careful, you will really get caught up in that first line where it says, love your enemies. You will be focused on that word and, and, and that will kind of distract you into, into what we're trying to hear. Now, when it comes to this word enemy, I provided a little bit of definition on the notes and this was just something that I grabbed from a pulpit commentary this idea of, a, of an enemy, because we can get a little bit distracted by that word, I think, if we're not careful. The definition I have, it says, those whose relation to us is likely to provoke ill will, those who effectively oppose us, those contending with us in business, those whose material interests clash with ours, and those who have spoken against us or haven't taken active steps to injure us. So Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's telling them how to deal with somebody who is your enemy. Now, once again, if you get distracted by that word, you might be thinking of, of the word enemy. And I was reminded of um, being in Israel. I was in Israel in 2013 and we were traveling all over and we were up on the northeastern border. And we were in an area called the Golan Heights. And in the Golan Heights, we are in Israel. You can literally throw a baseball into Syria. If you're Nolan Ryan, you can throw a baseball, but you, it's close. You can see it. And I was asking this gentleman in Israel, I said, so what is it like to live so closely to, and he finishes my sentence, he says, my enemy? And I said, right, what's it so, like to live so closely to his enemy? That's an enemy. That's an, an international enemy. The enemy that I'm talking right here isn't not necessarily that type of person. In fact, the enemy that I'm talking to, it might be somebody that's much closer to you. The enemy who is somebody that's provoking ill feeling, that's opposing us, that's contending us in business, with it, in business, especially right now, especially the conflict that's going on in society, it might be something, somebody that's, that's much closer to us, right? But it's those people that we have the conflict with on a regular basis. Those people that are being described, that Jesus is describing this passage of how he wants us to respond to those people, right? So remember that the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is talking on the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying things like, if your eye, you know, causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Jesus is saying is, is in these moments, right, rather than give something to somebody that they deserve, right, I want you to give them what they don't deserve. I want you to respond in a way that your gut is not telling you to respond. I want you to respond in a loving way. 
And why is Jesus saying that? Jesus is saying that because it's, it's not about you. It's about them. It's about Jesus. It's about his Father in heaven. That we don't have to respond that way. That these are, that these are opportunities. That we need to decide within these conversations, within these difficult interactions, is how we're going to, to deal with that person. Viktor Frankl wrote a, a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And um, he was in a concentration camp. And Victor worked out this philosophy that he had, and he says, there's things that happen to us in our life. There's circumstances that happen to us. And between us and those circumstances, there's a space, right? There's a space that we have the opportunity to decide. And in Victor Frankl's case, he decided that I have these horrible things that have happening in my life. I have my wife that I lost, I have family that I've lost, and I have friends, but between those circumstances, there's me, I can find meaning. I can find purpose. And Jesus is saying the same thing. Amidst these difficult interactions with people, there's a space, right? There's an opportunity that we have. And we think that we have this, this opposition with our enemy, but really what we have is we have an opportunity. And that's the first fill in if you're following along in your notes. Opposition with my enemy creates opportunity. But it's within these difficult conversation, these difficult situations that we have with our neighbor, with our family member, with a friend, with a coworker, where everything on our gut is telling us to lash out, we have the opportunity to turn it into a productive situation. I was reminded of some conflict that my wife was dealing with some, some time ago. She had this friend of hers that she was also doing uh, business with. So there was a professional relationship, but there was a personal relationship also. also. And as a result of some business-related issues, it had turned into um, a, kind of a little bit of a toxic relationship. And quite frankly, this lady was directing a bunch of negativity towards my wife. And my, my wife really wanted to resolve the issue. She wanted to resolve the issue personally, but she also had to resolve the issue professionally as a result of some financial considerations but I knew that this was a, there was a lot of turmoil there. And my wife um, told me she was gonna meet with this lady. And I thought, wow, this is, th there's no way this ends good, right? I mean, this is a very toxic situation. And, and I, I was concerned for my wife. And I, I joke a little bit, but I told her, I'm like, hey, this needs to be in public, right? You need, you need people around. Uh, you, you need a safe word. Like medical attention is gonna be standing by. Like this thing, this thing could get ugly, right? That's how, that's how toxic this was. And I'm, I'm joking a little bit, but that's, that was my concern that I had. And so my wife met with her and my wife came home and, and I was asking her, so how did it go? She said, well, it went great. And I'm like, well, did you guys scream at each other? You know, did she lead with a hook or like, what did it look like? And my wife said, no. And I said, well, what did you do? How did you, how did you start it off? And my wife says, I gave her a hug. So you, you gave her a hug? So what did she do when you hugged her? Did she push away? She started screaming at you? She said, no, she hugged me back. She hugged me back and she got upset and she started crying and, and we worked it out and we resolved all of our issues. And I thought, oh my goodness. First of all, I thought my wife was like Yoda, right? She's going, she's leading with a hug? This lady didn't deserve a hug. This lady deserved something like a hug. Like, a hug that looks like this. That's that's how she was she was treating my wife in the moment. My wife said, "You know what? I didn't I didn't want to respond that way." But that that opportunity, right, could have very well gone the other way. Like that villain said, our opposition with our enemy creates an opportunity with Jesus.
And that's what all these situations are that we deal with people. These, they're opportunities. They're opportunities. This whole year, 2020, as crazy as it's been, as we've been had these concerns and these, these confrontations and these challenges socially, they're opportunities for us. They're opportunities to bring love into a situation where the world wants us to dump all kinds of hate. So along with that opportunity to follow Jesus, as I said, we're, we're soaking here in, in the red letters. But this next fill-in here, um, speaking of, of what it means to follow the commands of Jesus, so follow the command, following the commands of Jesus is not about us. Following the commands of Jesus is about Jesus. But the fill-in here is it's about service. It's about service. Whenever we talk about somebody who, who's willing to serve, you know, just not too long ago, we celebrated Veterans Day and we told people, thank you for serving because they were willing to step up and do something they didn't have to do. Being a police officer, I'm, I feel very rewarded when somebody walks up to me and says, hey, thank you for serving. Somebody who serves is willing to, to put somebody else in front of them. And following the commands of Jesus are about service. But just to focus on that, that moment where it says following the commands of Jesus, I think sometimes it's good for us to remember these are commands. They're not recommendations. They're not things Jesus is saying, hey, if you can get around to doing this, why don't you go ahead and do it? These are commands and they're commands because he knows these are going to be things that we are required to do in difficult situations, but, but they're orders, right? And it's so important for us to remember that these are the commands of Jesus. Because if we think that they're just recommendations, we won't do it. But think in terms of them being commands. Secondly, um, when, it, when it comes to, to following his commands, it's, it's something that we should aspire to do, but we're going to aspire to do those in difficult moments. All those things I just talked about, loving your enemies, doing good those who hate to hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you, those are going to be difficult situations, but we are called to keep his commands. John 8, 31 to 32, it says, if you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That second sentence is something we hear quite frankly, quite frequently in church, right? The pastor will says, then you will, the pastor will say, then you will know the truth. And we all stand up and say, and the truth will set you free. But it's that scripture, that sentence before that, when he says, if you hold my teaching, if you hold my teaching, this picture of, of us holding something, of us protecting something, of us, of us guarding something, his word, his scriptures, us holding his teaching and living it out. In 1 Timothy 6.14 says, I keep charge, I, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul is saying to Timothy to keep this command, he's referring to two passages before that in 1st Timothy. And that's the passage what we hear from Pastor Kenny, Pastor Kenny quite frequently, right? When he says, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. When Paul is saying, I charge you to keep this command, these are the commands of Jesus. These are the commands of Jesus that we are called to keep, right? They're the, they're the orders that we've been given right? They're the orders, just like in the, in, in the military, orders are given. When, when I say that phrase, I'm, I'm reminded of that, that great scene in 
a few good men, right? When Colonel Jessup's on the stand and he's being asked about orders and were orders filed and Colonel Jessup says those awesome words. He says, we follow orders. We follow orders or people die. It's that simple. And then he says, are we clear? These are orders. These are orders that they need to be following. So us following the commands of Jesus, us being the men we're supposed to be, it's about service. And what is service about? Your first fill in here is service is about doing and not feeling. Service is about doing and not feeling. Jesus is not commanding his followers to feel a certain way. Jesus is commanding his followers to act a certain way. He's commanding them to act a certain way because he knows it's not going to be easy for them to act that way. He's, he knows it's not going to, they're not going to feel like acting that way. When you look at those first words that I told you to circle, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. Those are things that are not feelings. Those are, those are doings. Those are things that we do. Jesus wants us to do. Loving involves doing. James tells us to be a doer of the word and not a hearer of the word. In the James passage 1, 22 to 24, he says, don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but letting the word of God go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like. James is saying is, the man who hears and doesn't do does not know who he is. And if he doesn't know who he is, he doesn't know what to do. He looks in the scripture and he sees the man that he's supposed to be and he walks away from it two minutes later because he just heard it and he didn't do it. He forgets who he is. The opposite of that is true. The man who does what he hears, the man who does the word of God, he knows who he is. He knows about his identity. He knows what he's supposed to do. He knows why he was created. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were designed to do good works. In Ephesians, just a couple of passages before that, it says that we've been saved by grace through faith. Yes, we were saved by grace through faith. But as a result of that, we were designed to do good works. We were designed to be a doer and not do things because we feel like doing them. And service is about doing. We spend so much time talking about doing. We read books on doing. We go to small groups. We talk about doing. We need to do, right? We need to do and follow the scripture. And service is about doing. Next, service is about healing and not hurting. Service is about healing and not hurting. Luke 6, 29 says, If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. Probably the most controversial passage or the one that kind of makes your tummy hurt the most. So I'm supposed to let somebody hit me and then hit me again. Now, remember the passage that's being paralleled in Matthew 5. And you go to Matthew 5, the verse just prior to that verse, it says, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus is referencing the Old Testament. The Old Testament, which 
you know, has been trumped by the new covenant of Jesus. An eye for an eye very much had this revenge component, this retaliation component, and it was biblically supported. Jesus is saying that you don't have to retaliate. Jesus is saying you don't have to take revenge. Even in that moment, even in that moment when, when everything is telling you this person deserves retaliation, this person deserves revenge. I shared with you the story about my wife. This person that my wife was dealing with, she deserves something. She didn't deserve a hug. There's times when we're interacting with somebody, when they're being hateful, when they're throwing insults our way. And never is the light so green when we wanna jump in there and we would just wanna clobber them with insults. And we wanna take them out at the knees because that's what they deserve. Jesus is saying, that's not how you respond. You won't respond an eye for an eye. You don't need to respond with retaliation. You don't need to respond with, with revenge, right? All that's done, but I want you to respond with something different. I want you to respond with something over the top better than that, just like I mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, something so significant as, as of cut, us cutting off our hands or gouging out our eyes. Jesus never expected us to truly gouge out our eyes or cut off our hands. And can I get an amen for that? Because if we really did follow that part of the New Testament, we'd be a bunch of dudes walking around with no hands and no eyes using Siri all the time, amen? But he did say, I want you to do something that's over the top. Just like my wife walks into that situation and what's over the top, she just offered love. She offered love in a moment that it wasn't deserving. So in a moment when we wanna seek retaliation or revenge and when, when it feels good, that's that opportunity that's that opportunity for reconciliation. When you want to seek revenge, we seek out the opportunity for reconciliation because what is Jesus saying, man? It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about your gut, right? You are, you are a new creation in Christ. You don't have to, you don't have, the old, the old person died. The person who wants to respond with a revenge and retaliation, we had a funeral for that guy. He's gone. You're a new creation. Yes, it's gonna be inconvenient. Yes, it's gonna sting a little bit. It's gonna hurt your tummy a little bit to actually give somebody a hug that doesn't deserve them, to actually give something that they don't deserve. But you know what? Sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes you're going to be inconvenienced in this life. Jesus knows that more than ever. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's feeling inconvenience and he's telling, telling his Father in heaven, this is a little tougher, my cup runneth over, but, I get it, thy will be done. We need to be saying the same thing. So service is about healing in those moments and not hurting. Next, service is about providing to the undeserving. Providing to the undeserving. Verse 29 says, if someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. So this picture of somebody that's coming up to you and is grabbing your, they're, they're making this demand of you. They're demanding something that they clearly don't deserve. What is Jesus saying? That person that's making that demand of you, that, that's, that's, that's wanting something from you that they don't deserve, give it to them. In fact, give them something else. Don't just give them your coat, give them your shirt. We've heard the phrase, he'll, he, you know, he's, he's such a good guy, he'll give you the shirt off his back. Well, that guy needs a shirt but he likes us so much, he cares for you so much, he's willing to give you something that he needs. Jesus is saying, don't just give him that, but respond even more so in a loving way and give him even more than that. You know, the person that's, that's undeserving, especially that person that's undeserving. 
The story of the Good Samaritan is, is, is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And when you really look in the nuts and bolts of that story, it's a conversation between Jesus and what's described as an expert of the law. He's a Jewish man. He tells the story of a man who's hurt on the side of the road, a couple of guys that are affiliated with the church cross to the other side, and the next guy that comes is a Samaritan. <clears throat> if you understood the relationship between a Jew and a Samaritan, they were not friends. Now they were enemies as a result of what had transpired in history, right? So when Jesus is talking to the expert of the law, when he's talking to the Jew and he says, a Samaritan walked down the street, immediately that Jewish guy had a visceral response to that because he had such hatred towards Samaritans. This natural, in, innate, inborn hatred towards him. And by the end of that story, Jesus says, so who is your neighbor? He says, well, the man who showed mercy, the man who showed mercy was a Samaritan who helped the man who had been beaten and robbed, right? That Samaritan was not deserving of the love and the care and the respect of a Jewish man. It wasn't, but Jesus was able to portray that story. And the same thing is true for us. When he says, love your neighbor, you know, love your enemy, love the person who curses you or love the person who hurts you, that's the person who in that moment doesn't deserve it. But service is about providing to the undeserving. Next, service is my identity. Service is my identity. Luke 6, 35 to 36 says, I tell you, love your enemies, help and give without expecting return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us. Generously and graciously, even when you're at, we're at our worst, our Father is kind, so you be kind. It's our identity. It's why we are created. Now, this is the message version, but I love when he says your God-created identity. The disciples, Jesus is telling the disciples, you were created for this moment. I shared with you in your first fill-in is your opposition with your enemies an opportunity to be with Jesus. The times right now in 2020 with all this opposition, it's opportunity. It's opportunity. People are hurting more than ever. People are more afraid more than ever. Even this week as we pop back into this purple level and there's this, this, this increased anxiety, that's opportunity for us. And we, we need to see it that way. And Jesus is saying, amidst these really difficult situations in our life when you're dealing with somebody who's your enemy, who's hateful, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity that we need to take a look at and, 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 and investigate because it's, it's my identity. And, that's how we will be known. We will be known from those opportunities. John 13, 35 says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how we will be known. I shared earlier when James says, you know, be a doer of the word. And I said, service is about doing. We will be known for our doing. Now this says, everyone will know, you will know, my, will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, we'll be known for that or we'll be known for something else. Some other, some other thing that's not loving, and, and I'm sure you're with me on this, we want to be known as his disciples. How are we known to be his disciples? By loving one another. Next, service is courageous. Service is courageous. 
Luke 6, 31 to 32, it says, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. Service is courageous. It takes courage to love people who don't deserve it. It takes courage to care for people that don't deserve your care. To make an investment in something that you know not only has you know, a zero rate of return, but you're gonna lose it all. You're gonna give it all away. I included a passage for the Law Enforcement Code of Ethics. It reads, I maintain courageous calm in the face of danger, scorn, or ridicule. Quite oftentimes, when we have these conversations with people or these interactions with people, you know, we're, we're a little bit afraid of how we should interact because of how it's going to appear. That we might appear to be weak or we might appear to not give somebody the, what, they, what they really deserve. So we would, we would appear to be too meek and too, too mild. Reminds me of a story some time ago that I was uh, riding my bike with friends. We, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an aspiring, mediocre cyclist. And um, we were out on the road and we, we pulled over to this gas station. We're going to refill our bottles. And I'd gone inside and I came out. And a couple of my friends were standing there that, that, we, that we were riding with me that day. And they pointed to this guy off to the side. And he was a homeless guy or, or, or looked like a homeless guy digging through the trash. And one of my buddies says, so, Pastor Jason, what are you going to do about that? Now, you remember the story in Christmas Carol. This wasn't a triple dog dare, but this was at least a double dog dare, right? You understand the reference. This was, this was somebody daring me to do something. So I had no choice. Now, I really honestly didn't want to go talk to the homeless guy. Um, I wanted to get out of there. We still had a couple hours before we were going to be back to where we started riding from. It, I was feeling inconvenienced. I knew that I didn't have the energy to invest in that moment to go talk to this guy. I didn't know what that would look like. But it was a double dog dare and almost a triple dog dare. So I went over and I talked to him and I said hello and had a very pleasant conversation with him. And it turns out, yes, he was homeless, um, but uh, had the opportunity to, to, to give him some food. I got him a sandwich and some, something to drink. I gave him a power bar and we prayed for him and we bailed. But that took courage for me in that moment. And in reality, it's kind of silly. I just want to have had a conversation with somebody. But it was hard. I had to fight through my own, you know, my own stuff to get through that. And quite frankly, my friends weren't willing to do it. And, and, they, and they saw it as courageous too. But it takes, it takes courage. It takes courage in the face of, of those types of, of situations where we're battling with the inside. So service is courage. Next, service is a decision. Service is a, is a decision that we make. You constantly hear Pastor Kenny refer to Psalms 118.24. It says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And when Pastor Kenny references that, he doesn't use those words at the end of the day after a good day. He uses those words at the beginning of the day in spite of what that day looks like. It's early in the morning where I'm at right now. I don't know what this day holds in store. Today might be a great day. Today might be the worst day, but it's still the day that the Lord has made. And I am called to decide in advance that I am going to rejoice because it's not my day. It's not about me. It's his day. It's his plan. And we can decide, we can make the choice to rejoice in that. 
Service is, is a decision. I shared with you the story of Viktor Frankl. We have this decision to make from the point of where we're at to the circumstances in our life. We have a space in there to make the, a decision. We have the love of our Father in heaven that's in there. We have the power of the Holy Spirit that's in there that allows us to respond to that and make that decision. Next, and the final, second to the last component of service is service is needed. Service is needed. More than ever, service is needed. We are surrounded by people that need to be served. In our last study, we talked about in the inner man, we talked to, about how we have this desire for significance. We have this desire to be loved. And when we lack that desire, to be, when we lack that, that feeling of being loved, and we lack that feeling of being significant, we toil, right? We work even harder. We, we, we burn up even more energy. And we try and fill those gaps in our lives with worldly things that are, that are temporary, right? And we get stressed and people are stressed right now. People are so stressed right now. That person that's dealing with you, that's stressing you out, that's being hateful, there's good possibility that that person is toiling. That person is not feeling the love of their, their creator. They're not feeling significant. And so they're lashing out of you. People are, are in need. On a regular basis, people will come up to me and they will ask me, and, and, and sometimes I'm curious why people are asking me for my opinion, but perhaps maybe it's because I'm a police officer, perhaps I'm a pastor, perhaps it's other things, and they say, well, Jason, what do you think about what's going on right now? And when they ask me that question, and sometimes it looks like that, what, what do you think about this right now? I don't see that. I see somebody looking at me and saying, Jason, are we gonna be okay? Are we gonna be okay right now? Because they're afraid. People are thirsty for peace. People are so thirsty and are so hungry to feel at peace. And we have this opportunity once again as believers, right? Who are able to say the words that I will rejoice in today in spite of what today looks like. That needs to be shared with others and even others in our lives that don't deserve it. John 4, 14 reads, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up an eternal life. People around us are thirsty and they're hydrating themselves on the wrong source. They're drinking things that, that aren't providing them with nourishment. And, and the water that's provided by the word of God and the love of Jesus, it's, it's the perfect electrolyte balanced drink. It nourishes us, it energizes us, it provides us with that peace. And we provide that with people because service is needed. Service is needed and it's our identity. It's what we're called to do. When Jesus was talking to the disciples about, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love, I want you to do good, I want you to bless, and I want you to pray. And when you do this, when you do those things, when you live out your identity, they will know you as my disciples. They will know you as my disciples. They will experience your connection with me and they will in turn be connected with me. First Peter 1, 21 to 22 and then also verse 25 says, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth. So when you hear this passage, I want you to think that you're being spoken to right now, right? I want you to think that you're being charged right now 
because I just shared with you that service is needed. This is our identity. This is what we are called to do. It says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishing seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. That's our charge, right? That's our charge. It says, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. It's needed and it's our identity. In closing, I want to share one more filling with you, and that is service is contagious. Service is contagious. You know, we are using that word a lot frequently. Right now, we're talking about things that are contagious. Amen? Earlier, I shared with you a story about my interaction with this homeless man. And um, I, 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 I ended the story quickly, but um, when I was talking to this man and I found that he was a believer, <clears throat> and I asked him if I could pray for him. So I had already shared with you that one of my buddies had triple dog dare me to go talk to him. So they clearly didn't want to talk to the guy, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to pray for this guy. I'm going to invite my buddy over here to participate in this moment. One, so we can pray for this guy. And two, my buddy can come say hello to this homeless guy. So before I started to pray for him, I asked him, hey man, can I put my hand on your shoulder? Um, you know, he was, uh, he was anxious and, uh, and he, was, he was very nervous and safe to say he probably was pretty short on human touches. And so I wanted to pray for him. And so I put my hand on his shoulder and I started to pray. While I was praying, I didn't close my eyes. And, uh, you know, we're supposed to close our eyes when we pray. And I remember being a young boy thinking and being told, hey, if you don't close your eyes, it doesn't count. And I didn't close my eyes, to be honest with you, is, is it was a safety issue. Is I didn't know this guy that well. And we were really close to him and I just felt like I needed to, to, to keep my eyes open. And I'm so glad that I did. Because I'm as I'm praying for him and I look up, I can see the gas station. This is a big gas station in the middle of Orange County. And there's a lot of people there. It's 10 o'clock in the morning and it's a car wash too. There's a lot of people standing around. As I'm praying for this guy, time has stood still over there. And the way I remember it is there's a car at every pump at that gas station. There's multiple cars being washed and everybody's watching this. And I was so glad I kept my eyes open. And you know, I prayed for a long time. I wanted those people to see another man putting a hand on somebody who needed it and praying over them. And they, I wanted them to know that I was praying, that I was having a conversation with our creator. And I finished praying with him. And as I walked away, the gentleman walked up and says, hey man, were you praying for that guy? He says, is it okay if I give him something? I said, absolutely. Somebody else said, hey, does he need money? I said, well, go, go say hello to him, man. Go, go buy him something or give, give, and whatever it was. And because of me and my friend going over there, people were drawn over there. It was like they were contagious. It was like they wanted to be a part of it. And all of a sudden, this homeless guy was dignified, right? And he was blessed. And I was blessed 
because I got to spend time with him, right? Because remember what I said earlier, those moments of opposition are opportunity to be with Jesus. And then other people got blessed. That happened years ago. We still talk about that. And you know all I did was I went up and I talked to a guy who, who had nothing for me, who had nothing for me, but you know, it was contagious and we all got blessed. Service is needed. Service is needed. We are called to service because those are the commands of Jesus. And when we do that, it's contagious. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your reminder, Lord. You went over and above for us. You gave to us when we didn't deserve. You loved us when we didn't deserve your loving. Lord, you blessed us when we didn't deserve it, Lord. You went over and above, Lord, and I pray that we would be people, we'd be men that go over and above, that these opportunities of opposition with our enemies, with the people that have ill desires for us, Lord, that we would take advantage of those opportunities and create them to have opportunities with you. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate spending time with you. Have a great day.